We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. It's also a favorite of the block's analyst, Steven Zhang. He saves money at Chipotle every time he gets a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to what is a very special episode of The Scoop. We have Kristen Smith, and this is the second time. Yes. The second time she's joining us on the episode. No, this is quite the accomplishment. We have a... uh, we have a prize for her as a result. There's a I love prizes. case of White Claw waiting in the fridge for you from our event from Wednesday, Leftover. And awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best we can do. We're a startup. We're a venture-backed startup. So that is literally the best we can do. Um, we're going to be diving into so many interesting things. You're plugged into Washington whenever, you know, we're picking up on something. We reach out to you to get your opinion because you represent so many companies at the Blockchain Association where you are pushing for thoughtful, innovative crypto regulations and policies. And those are some of the things we'll be talking about. Uh, moving into 2020, what we can expect, what we you know, might not expect. 2019 defined, obviously, by Libra, by Facebook, um, and, and now, most recently, Kelly Leffler uh, being appointed to the Senate. Uh, some of these things, I imagine, are going to spill over into 2020. What are you most excited about? Um, I'm excited that Washington in general, but specifically Congress, is getting much better on this stuff. There's a, a deeper understanding of the technology. There's a belief that it's... Uh, inevitable and that it's important and that the U.S. wants to be competitive. Uh, That's not universal throughout uh, every single individual lawmaker, um, but uh, the conversations have gotten way more sophisticated than they were a year ago at that time. So I think that we'll see some thoughtful efforts, uh, you know, coming out of the Senate. Um, We'll see some targeted legislation at Libra in the House. Um, But but yeah, we're able to have a deeper conversation and, and um, I don't think we'll get any uh, broad legislation necessarily passed this year, but the debate's happening and, and that's an important uh, phase of the process to be entering into. When you joined us last time, you talked about that dichotomy of crypto 
regulations changing either through law, through the courts, rather through courts or through regulation um, brought down by Congress and lawmakers. Do you see the space moving towards that direction of Congress moving forward and pushing for standards and, and uh, regulations versus things being determined by courts? I think we'll see some effort in Congress. I don't. I don't think we'll see anything actually enacted in, into law. Um, it is a presidential year coming up, and so policymaking in D.C. even at the agency level. Not that there's anything live going on at, at the agency level right now, but um, it, it almost entirely shuts down. Um, and especially as we get, um, you know, sort of past the first quarter, second quarter of the year, um, all people care about um, on Capitol Hill is getting reelected. Uh, we've got a you know presidential race going on that's that's in the backdrop. So um, you know, sort of federal agencies now. Now most of the agencies we deal with are um, you know sort of independent agencies, so they'll continue to do their enforcement actions. But nobody's going to take on any major political. Um, type of an effort um, in a presidential year. So what does that mean for us? Um, it doesn't mean we, you know, go home and, and not engage with, with lawmakers. Um, there is going to be a lot of activity and there's still a much more education that needs to be done. And so we can use this time to lay the groundwork for um, whether there is, uh, a, you know, a change in power in Congress or a new administration uh, or not. Um, we'll have We'll have new leaders in place and the start of 2021, so we're, we're really need to use this time to be ready for some action. Mm -hmm. Is there a dead period next year where there's just not going to be much progress on that front? Like people just focused on the election? Yeah, I forgot it, to it, introduce it, Ryan. Ryan Todd, okay. <laughs> our great researcher, standing um, beside me. Yeah, DC shuts down around June yeah. typically. Um, you know, now things happen if there's a crisis, um, a, you know, major financial crisis or a terrorist attack or something like that. You know. The, the, the town will kick up again and start, you know, running and moving policy. But um, well, it seemed like things were in full swing right after Libra. What, what, where are we at in terms of the sentiment in Washington uh, when it comes to cryptocurrencies? Seems like a lot of those bills that were proposed, not passed, um, are dead in the water. Not really going to. Oh go no, anywhere. that's quite quite the contrary. Uh, so let's focus in on the the anti big tech in finance bill. I don't think that's the name of it, but it's something. No, so there, there's a couple bills that were circulated. So the, the timeline is as follows. We had the Libra hearings in the House and the Senate uh, back in, in July. And then in October, the uh, Mark Zuckerberg came and testified before the House of Representatives. And, and when he came back for that hearing, there was a series of bills that were um, proposed at that time. One is the Keep Big Tech Out of Finance Act, that if you have more than $25 billion of revenue in tech, you can't also be in, in finance. Um, there, the, there was another one um, called the Manage Stablecoins Our Securities Act. And that one is, uh, that's a live exercise right now. Um, that is um, actually up until this morning, and we're recording this on a, on a Friday, I don't know when this will go live, but uh, up until this morning, we were on track for that bill to be voted on at the committee level on Tuesday next week, on, on the 10th and 11th. And now, what would that bill Proposed. So this this bill is um, it's really an effort to to go after Libra. It, and what it does is it defines something called a managed stablecoin, mm -hmm. and it um, declares that that managed stablecoin uh, is a security. 
and that if you want to trade them. And that's a direct attack on Facebook in terms yes. of its structure. There's no other. Yes. Um, and, and but it also spills over to other stablecoin projects too, right? Like yes. So. Um, like how would that impact? Well, Coinbase? it's not necessarily managed like the way that Libra is because it's right. a basket of these cur currencies and securities. Yes, and so what's in, which, what's interesting here, um, and, and this happens a lot with early stage legislative proposals, right? So you have to remember that, that these proposals are drafted by um, sometimes by committee staff, but sometimes just personal office staff. Sometimes they're lawyers, sometimes they're not. There is a legislative council that helps with this process, but it's it's very often in the early stage, and, and this is. In some ways, this is the beauty of the legislative process, is you throw ideas out there and then you work to improve them. And so uh, Representative Sylvia Garcia is um, on the Financial Services Committee and wanted to take a stab at doing this. And so put out this idea that, hey, this looks to me like an ETF. I think it's probably, you know, she's thinking it's probably already a security, but wants to drive that point home. And so crafted this in an effort to go after Libra. Um, the problem is the way it was crafted at this early stage is that it captured probably everything. Hmm. And so, um, but the good news is the intent of this was not all cryptocurrencies are securities act or all stable coins are securities act. It was the managed stable coins are securities act. So if you think about it, that's actually the intent is to be fairly narrow on what is a managed stable coin. Um, but that's we, not exactly what it looked like. When it was introduced, and the definition they provide, it's it's just pretty vague. Like it's yeah, it's it, it's just it's just broad and probably captures in other things. So you know, what do we do as the blockchain association and, and other stakeholders involved? Is you go and talk to the offices. Um, we talked to Sylvia Garcia's office. We talked with Gooden's office, who's the Republican co-sponsor. We talked to the committee staff for Chair Waters and McHenry, and and you know express our our concerns that this might be overly broad and um most cases they agreed with us that um, they didn't mean to go that broad um there, there's sort of a an mo that um uh, especially democratic offices on the house financial services committee do is they want to get the conversation going so they just throw something out there and then they improve it as they go um and so we had um you know, we were optimistic that they weren't trying to go after, you know, dollar-backed stablecoins like USDC or TrueUSD or Paxos or um, Gemini Dollar, and um, they agreed with us. And, and so we were hopeful that if it had moved forward that there would be some clarifying language that those types of things weren't included. Um, now, they're also looking at some of the algorithmic stablecoins and trying to figure out, does that count as a managed stablecoin or not? Um, that's kind of an ongoing discussion with these offices. But um, as of last night, we thought that that was something that was going to be voted on next week. And we were we were prepared and ready to work through the weekend to try to change why do the they, language. Why do they make it so big? Why don't they just come out and say, based off of our review, this would be a managed stable coin. This would be as well versus put out this... Well, there's, there's definition. so Congress is not allowed to write legislation that specifically calls out a company's name. Um, I don't know where that is in the rules, but there's this idea that you can't you can't pass a bill that says Facebook can't do this. What you have to do is pass a bill that says companies of a certain size or type can't do this certain type of thing. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it doesn't do any good to just call out from a, from a legislative perspective. Um, 
you know, they're trying to set the policy. So you can't just call it a single company because then, you know, some other company could go and do the same thing. So they're trying to find the principles around which, um, you know, tokens should be securities and not. And if you think about it, that's actually what the industry has been asking for for a while. This is just uh, because Libra is here, the, co- the focus is more around Libra as opposed to, to broader cryptocurrency, which isn't a terrible place to be. But as written, the, the bill as introduced was was not acceptable. But we're very optimistic, um, uh, cautiously optimistic, I could say, that, that we can improve it and, and definitely narrow it so it doesn't inadvertently wipe out a large part of the industry. Were you surprised at the like response? I, I remember talking to a couple of the analysts that uh, – work in the sell side, but as Washington like coverage and all of them were surprised at how quick these hearings were, were getting pushed through yeah. to discuss Libra and, and everything else. Yeah, I, I think um, um, I was surprised by how strong it was. Um, I knew that, that Facebook wasn't particularly popular um, amongst a certain set of, of lawmakers. Um, but I, I, you know, even I on the ground there didn't think the reaction would be as strong as it was. Um, and, you know, I think Facebook can fight through it if they have the appetite, appetite to do so. Um, you know, they've got a lot of resources. Um, they, uh, you know, have a lot of lawyers. They have a lot of lobbyists. Um, you know, they have a very talented professional team behind them. So if they, they want to keep pushing through, they can, they can do that. But, yeah, they're just not popular. When I was down there for the David Marcus hearings, yes. the Senate one and then the congressional one, at first I couldn't put my finger on whether or not the animosity was strictly bipartisan, meaning everyone just does not like Facebook as a company, or if maybe Republicans were a little more open to the innovation. I got that sense from the congressional hearing a little bit more. Looking back, you know, months out from when all this went down, is there a partisan divide on this issue or not necessarily? I I think there's a growing partisan divide. I think in the beginning, everybody kind of hated Facebook and and it was, it was popular. Um, I I think we're starting to see, you know, when, when things like the keep big tech out of finance act comes in, you know, that, that impacts a lot of large companies that are out there that might, you know, there, there seems to be a merging, a natural merging of tech and finance um, with, you see several banks that are partnering with big tech companies on different projects. Um, and, and I think the Republicans don't like to see those sorts of things. It also um, doesn't make a lot of sense because what are large financial companies at the end of the day? They are technology companies. Yeah, It's all just coming together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, just, it's, I'm looking at it now. It's a daily $1 million fine if you're in financial services and a tech company with $25 billion in revenue. Like that's... But what defines a tech company in that? Because uh, PayPal is just as much a tech company yes. as Amazon. What, what you'll see with Republicans is Republicans don't like to do, deal with these overly broad definitions. Right. Um, it, it's a different legislating style. So even though you may have a few Republicans that are kind of sympathetic to that idea, um, it's, a lot of it is they, they want to oppose things because it's being done by the other party and, and done in a way that's overly broad and, and they're acting as sort of the backstop that is going to try to negotiate to narrow that down. So it's it's an important sort of role. But that being said, amongst Republicans, Facebook isn't particularly, you know, popular. But I do think what's happened is in the very beginning, the knee-jerk reaction was to 
not like Libra because people don't like Facebook, but as, as it's sort of moved on, I think there have been concerns um, that have sort of developed about, well, how is the U.S. going to, the U.S. dollar going to continue to remain strong if there are other currencies out there that are easier to use than the dollar? And it's, it's um, uh, there's sort of a fork of this conversation that's starting around what is the role of the Fed? Should we have a, a Fed-backed digital U.S. dollar? Um, and there, that, that's kind of a, a side conversation that, that's starting to happen as a result of um, of, of Libra coming into this space. And well, I mean, I think it, it really woke people easing. up to it. I think they're warming up a little bit, right? Didn't um, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin say it could happen so long as they're conforming to the proper AML procedures? Yeah, and I, I did not watch word for word yesterday what he said. Um, what he said, what, but what the readout that I saw is um, Mnuchin was talking about the fact that the Fed didn't need to create its own mm -hmm. in the next, you know, for at least five years, that this was something they wanted to look at and watch. And um, I do think what's interesting is you don't need the Fed to have the benefits of a digital U.S. dollar. We have that today, right? There are dollar-backed stable coins that are out there that you can have, you know, instant access to that you can program, um, that you can um, move quickly um, at any hour of the day. So that, that's, that's a, you know, you don't need the Fed to do that necessarily. Yeah. There's a private marketplace that can. I've always been of that, that belief. Like if like the Fed doesn't exactly to your point, doesn't need, they should just outsource that to the private market. Mm -hmm. Like you, yeah. exactly. It already exists. Point. There's yeah. already all these let's, other people. Let's all give it. our predictions. I think three things are important to think about when it comes to Facebook. I think they're going to, relocate the association to the U.S. I think that they're going to move to a single currency that will back the coin. And I think that it will go through and it'll be successful because they'll be able to leverage the merchants that they have on their platform. There are tens of thousands of merchants that are on Facebook. If they offer, you know, some sort of incentive for them to accept and use Libra, I think that could be a, a tailwind. I mean, those are some bold predictions. What do you I think? Know. I don't know. I mean, what's the sense you get uh, with the whole Geneva uh, organization? Well, that, that was a problem for U.S. lawmakers at the hearings. That was that was a really strong theme that, that came out because you, these were a lot of big U.S. companies behind it. Um, and uh, so I think it would be a good political move on their part to say, hey, we're going to bring that back here. But, you know, I, you know, it seems to be fairly established over there now. And they, you know, I, it would be quite an undertaking to do that. But I think they could do it. Um, but I don't know what that would do to the the way their charter is set up and whether or not that's tied to, yeah. to that. But a lot of this stuff there. isn't set in stone, right? I mean, many of the companies haven't even made the $10 million payment yet, right? That's my understanding. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I think if they wanted to to make a move to please U.S. policymakers, that bringing it back home, I think, would go a long ways. But um, and no, I I think a, a dollar backed or you know a single currency backed uh, token is a lot easier to do um, than there's just much less questions about its status and securities law, and it, that would go that would I think be easier. But that also I. You know, I think the reason they did that to begin with is they wanted to reach an international audience, and um, right. that but how can they if they're not going if they're going to be blocked off from India and China? 
Well, there's other countries besides India and China. I mean, but that's <laughs> a large market. Big that's a large use case market. I agree. That's but. if we're yeah. talking about ba banking the unbanked. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that seems like two of the places you would start, especially in you China. Can go after Jack Dorsey in Africa. It's true. He's moving there, isn't yeah. he? Um, I want to go back to you mentioned comments about uh, just concerns over the dollar and what this could mean for that in the long term. Uh, one of the questions I did some like analysis around the Senate and congressional hearings, um, mapping out like all just every question oh, yeah. that was I asked. Saw that. It's a cool piece. Um, and I thought it was interesting. The one like it was pretty down the middle. Like the themes, both sides of the aisle were asking pretty similar questions. But the the two that jumped out on the Republican side were. Uh, concerns over China and the rumors of them, which have now been confirmed, um, of being close to rolling out a digital currency of their, of their own, um, and also concerns over pro-innovation um, and like the, just stifling that, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm wondering if you hear that theme around China, especially now that the DCEP is, is looking more realistic yeah, as well, a 2020 uh, we're hearing launch. We're hearing more and more about China from Congress. Um, I mean, China's the boogeyman in Congress, and right. it's, a, it's a talking point that when they go home and they're talking to their constituents, um, you know, both because of, I think, the size of China, but also just sort of the cultural value differences that there is a lot of concern, um, uh, and, and it makes for an easy talking point. So we're, we're seeing that um, quite a bit more on the Hill. And, you know, quite frankly, from our perspective, it's a useful argument to say, hey, that's why we need to have good policies here. So the crypto economy can develop here in the United States, whether that be, you know, just in terms of how do we improve our money, um, but also to all the other things that we think is that is that do. is that resonating with lawmakers going to them and saying, hey, if you're really concerned about China and concerned about them leapfrogging over us, you should pay a little bit more attention to cryptocurrency and yeah. blockchain. No, I think so. Um, I think so. There, you know, we had, a, there were a couple of congressmen, French Hill um, and Bill Foster, who sent a letter to Treasury, or I'm sorry, to the Fed. Um, asking, a good letter. The responses were great. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's prompting a dialogue and then that's a big part of it. And um, yeah, we see it in, in meetings with staff and lawmaker comments. And um, no, the China narrative is a, is a very strong one. That's interesting. So what do some of those conversations look like? What are the questions that they're asking you as it pertains to China and blockchain? Well, they just, they, they're, I mean, they're, they're very simple. They just want the U.S. to continue to be the leader and, um, you know, trying to figure out how to do it um, in a way that embraces the technology but doesn't um, have the technology undermine the U.S. dollar. And so it's, I think it's a healthy conversation. It's a good conversation to be having, and it's one that, you know, is reaching the highest levels of treasury. It's, it's reaching the key committees in Congress. And, and um, but I think as we were saying before, I think the answer there is we don't need the Fed to do anything. Like we can, we can you know, upgrade the technology with which we trade money, um, just like going from checkbooks to credit cards to wallet apps. Um, you know, that this is a technology layer that we can wrap around the dollar. So, um, you know, I think there's, that, that's obviously a very small subset of crypto, but I think in it, it's what has emerged from Libra is that people are trying to figure out this piece of the puzzle that we weren't talking about this a year ago at all. Mm -hmm. Nobody was talking about stable coins. Nobody was talking about how to how to move the dollar around in a more efficient way. So um, I, th I think that's a step a step forward. To what degree did 
Facebook drive that conversation. I don't know if we can quantify that in any sophisticated like way, but yeah. it has, yeah, I mean, you, are you more busy? Yeah. Like, is the association, <laughs> yeah. as a result, taking more meetings? How do you um, handle that influx of, um, of inquiries? Yeah, well, a lot of it is we're the ones that are reaching out, and it's um, a lot easier to get our, our meetings when we request them. And, and, and also just by, you know, due to the fact that we've been around for a while and we're sort of a known entity in the halls of Congress, people, people want to sit down and people want to talk to us and, and, and they want to learn more. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, the association's grown. We've got more staff now. Um, we have more lobbyists now. Uh, we have more members now. So we're, we're able to, we're able to manage that, you know, as best we can. Um, and, uh, but we do get people, you know, I get random inquiries from congressional staffers on the website or people from Treasury on, on a regular basis. So we do have people. What do those look like? What are they asking? Um, oh, they, they want to meet. They have a question about sure. something. They want to know, um, you know, understand the technology better. So, um, so yeah, we're able to respond um, to all of that. I think I want to draw in Steven Zhang, our other researcher. Yeah, I was gonna just gonna pitch that honestly. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's hear. So we should be pushing Steven on on the Congress. He's coming. We we're gonna get we're, Steven Zhang goes to Washington. <laughs> hop on an Amtrak. We can, down we can, there. We can have a, a staff. So on the hill. for the folks listening at home or by train, plane, automobile, wherever you are in the world, um, the Blockchain Association approached the block a few months ago about a research project that we've undertaken to examine the concerns many different companies have about the regulatory environment and a few other things. I'm not entirely sure about the full scope of the project because it's above my pay grade, but we have Stephen here. He's been working tirelessly, taking calls at all hours of the night, talking to CEOs from China and other places. Um, for this project. But I guess first, before we get Stephen's take on what he's hearing, what was the thinking behind doing this? I, I actually have no insight. So this <laughs> yeah, is like, so, will be the first time I've heard about uh, it. So um, with regulators as well as lawmakers on Capitol Hill, um, we often tell the story about how, um, you know, the, the regulatory environment in the U.S. is... Um, is problematic for the U.S. being competitive and that companies consider moving overseas or perhaps they have moved overseas and that, um, you know, the U.S. is losing out on, on, its, on opportunities because of our poor regulatory environment. Um, but we didn't have any, we don't, this is, these are all anecdotes and, and um, what we've been trying to do is find, um, you know, some, some way to present this, what we believe to be true, that, to that it's a problem. Thesis. Sure. Right, um, and, and um, specifically, we've had a couple of um, a couple of our champions in Congress who have asked us to try to to um, to, to quantify in any way, and also um, really just sort of formalize that case. And so, um, you know, that's why we thought we'd reach out to you guys and see um, if we could get capture the sentiment of the industry. Yeah, and, um, and it know. it doesn't only capture the the sentiment of the industry, but also the scope and breadth of a lot of these yes. companies. Uh, for the first time, we'll know exactly what the workforce of the crypto world and yes, where they're the at, US, and yeah. you know, um, it's our hope. You know, a year from now, we'll be able to know if that's gotten bigger or if it's gotten smaller. People want to know where the jobs are. They want to know how many they are, they, what they are. Um, there's there's a real interest and desire 
to better understand sort of the industry and the workforce and um, lawmakers in particular who are, you know, going home and talking to, with their constituents, they want to work on things that help drive jobs um, and help drive the economy. Sure. So any information. I, I, yeah. And yeah, I no. was shocked by some of the headcounts of these firms. But anyway, Stephen, tell us if the thesis that Blockchain Association has had in their conversations with lawmakers is um, lining up with what you found from conversations and uh, Yeah, calls. so uh, conversation-wise, a lot of firms um, agree with that thesis. Um, a lot of firms, actually, interestingly, a lot of firms said um, most of them um, didn't la initially launch in the U.S. because they were such a small startup and they didn't have the resources to like go through the regulatory, uh, the normal compliance process that you that the U.S. expects of a firms in this industry. So they end up having to grow big enough to, they have to end up having to delay their efforts to expand into the U.S. because they have to grow big enough to have enough resources, then they can expand into the U.S. So that's like a lot of the Asian exchanges, like a Bitflyer or a, uh, you know, Binance yeah, yeah, we've in. Yeah, we've heard a, yeah, a, a, a few exchanges. Uh, yeah, so a few exchanges said um, U.S. was part of their initial plan, but they couldn't uh, afford to spend resources to just just to um, uh, be co compliant with U.S. Uh, harsh, uh, I guess, standards, and so they had to wait and until they had enough resources. Um, uh, and also in our research, uh, so from the data we've got, in um, the top uh, of the top fifty employers in this industry, uh, sixty, like two thirds of them are based outside of the U.S. So yeah, so the U.S. only has a a, th a third of the largest employers in the industry. That includes Bitmain, Huawei. Uh, I mean, Coinbase is based in the U.S., but a lot, a majority of the fir firms that are hiring employees are based outside the U.S. Mm. Um, that's an interesting. I didn't realize that number was that high. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, not awesome. That's actually terrible. But it's awesome <laughs> from meeting numbers to go and make right. arguments to to get Congress to clean and up. And it's so this, crazy if you, if you juxtapose that with. I mean, I have no idea what percentage of of tech jobs or fintech jobs are here in the U.S., but I, I would imagine it might even be flipped, right? I mean, you would know better than I, Ryan. I would guess that. I don't know. China's pretty big. Yeah. Right. yeah job, uh, by job, like job count-wise, it's very hard to get this data. But So we, we try to target like the, the firms that we know are easier to get their data from. So we reached out to the largest firms in the space, and they are more available to answer our questions. Um, we've also dived into uh, job listing uh, sites for specifically for crypto. So we've we've gotten data from from over like 2,000 job listings from 2018 to 2019. On that end, it's very interesting. There are actually there is actually an increase in job listings in the U.S. from 2018 to 2019. Okay. So we don't have enough data stretching back to like 2016. So we can't really see that growth. But from 2018 to 2019, we've seen a slight increase in uh, job growth or jo at least job listings in the U.S. versus like remote and global. Interesting. Was, was there anything that was surprising? From the, um, so stuff from the interview, there's, there, there appears to be like a few common themes. So uh, a lot of uh, firms that spoken to us said that they want regulators to engage with them. They're like, they feel left out. They feel like regulators are looking at this. They can or, join the blockchain association. <laughs> They, they, yeah, they feel like the regulators <laughs> and uh, U.S. Congress members are just looking at this from like their 
I guess yeah, like like an ivory tower of like they're not they're not really engaging with uh, firms in this industry. They one actually pitched a, a crypto czar similar to how uh, apparently Bill Clinton uh, had an internet czar during his presidency. One one's like we should they should they should just start a crypto. Uh, they should appoint a crypto czar so the crypto czar can talk to us and speak with us and find out what issues we have. So like they, these firms want engagement with uh, Congress members and regulators in the U.S., but they, they, they feel like they are not getting that one-to-one -one engagement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I mean, the challenge that we have is, um, you know, we have a lot of good stories, but uh, it's, it's hard, I think, for individual companies sometimes to come out and tell that story. So if we can get some things in the aggregate um, uh, that we can, the data in the aggregate that we can use to, to convey the importance and, and give, you know, these strong data points to lawmakers. I think, um, I think that'll really, you know, give them some, some fuel for their arguments, um, you know, to do things that, um, to support policies that, that'll help the technology and help the industry. So yeah, we're, we're excited to, to see the results of it. Well, Thank you, Stephen. Get back to work. Thank you, Stephen. You've got more calls. <laughs> it's truly burning, burning the midnight oil. He hasn't been home in weeks. Skip we Thanksgiving. Have a, we have a cot set out for him with this, uh, <laughs> with the space heater next to it. Let's talk about um, some of the potential headwinds going into 2020. Uh, there was news out, I think it was this morning, about Senator or Congressman Sherman. Yeah, we this this uh, on Wednesday the House Financial Services Committee Democrats convened to um, elect the new chair of the of the subcommittee of the Financial Services Committee that has jurisdiction over securities laws and, and the SEC and um, it was a it was a I, I was told it was a seventeen to three vote um, that uh, Brad Sherman the congressman from California is going to replace Carolyn Maloney. On this committee, Carolyn Maloney, who um, New York Senate, uh, yeah, Congresswoman. right, right here, Congresswoman yep. from uh, represents, uh, I think, right exactly where we're at here in New York City, a big, uh, you know, sort of crypto community. Um, she now is the chair of the full oversight committee after Elijah Cummings passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago. So there, there's a, been a vacancy there, and Brad Sherman is a very senior member of the committee, and. Um, their seniority matters in the House. It yes. doesn't always matter, but um, especially with the, the Democrats in the House, they tend so we to have honor someone, the seniority we system. Had, we had Congresswoman Maloney, who, to your point, was a little bit more plugged in with the cryptocurrency world, just given her district. And now we have Brad Sherman, who likened Facebook's Libra to 9-11, yes, is he, not He's the sworn enemy fan. of the cryptocurrency <laughs> industry. He's coming after you, Stephen. You better be ready. I, I think... <laughs> I think we should try to play a clip of him popping off if we can figure that out on the tech side. I think that'd be worthwhile. Now we're told by some that innovation is always good. The most innovative thing that happened this century is when Osama bin Laden came up with the innovative idea of flying two airplanes into towers. That's the most consequential innovation, although this may do more to endanger America than even that. People call this the Libra. It's not the Libra. Nobody, when if, if it finally happens, nobody's going to call it Libra. They're going to call it a Zuckbuck. This is Zuckerberg's baby. Um, you said before we turn the mics on, I don't know, 
to what degree you want to um, pop off yourself about what this means. But this is bad. It's, it's, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Um, so, you know, if you look in, in terms of, okay, you know, we've talked before, you can get policy change through the courts, you can get it directly through the rulemaking process with regulators, um, or there is this, you know, Congress can pass a law. Um, so to pass a law, you have to get language through both chambers, both the House and the Senate in identical form, and the president has to sign it into law. To get something of this nature through the House, it would the full House, um, all you know, 435 members would have to vote on it. Um, before that, you need to get it through the House Financial Services Committee. And the committees are divided into subcommittees. And so any any type of bill of this nature would, would go through that subcommittee. And Brad, Brad Sherman, um, Chairman Sherman. Um, chairing the subcommittee? He's chairing the subcommittee. Wow. Um, you know, he, he has a fairly significant say in the agenda of that he subcommittee. Can, he can he can make sure that the agenda excludes any positive yes, bills, squat them down. Yes. If if there's any any hope, um, it is that the the full committee chair, so so Chair Maxine Waters, um, she she ultimately controls the agenda and and has a lot of say into what the subcommittees do and do not do. And so it, he doesn't have a you know, total blank slate to do whatever he wants, but he he definitely has a lot of sway and a lot of influence. And um, you know, we're we're excited because we um, you know we we have a great dialogue with with the full committee offices, um, and they have um, very thoughtful councils in this space that are thinking about these issues. And um, so we're we're happy that we have that dialogue there um but uh yeah having him in this position is is a little bit discomforting heading into the into the new year on the flip side uh georgia governor brian kemp just announced the appointment of a new junior senator from the state of georgia someone who is well known in the cryptocurrency industry kelly leffler yes oh silent first time and he's ever said her last name correct it's true <laughs> i had i no one's ever corrected me that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> so that's got to be positive. She didn't mention. I'm a little upset. She said she was pro Trump, pro wall, and pro. Yeah, where, Amendment, where was the pro crypto um, Bitcoin? But no, um, that could be good. It, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, and no, it's 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 wonderful news. Um, are people? Are your members? I mean, we care because we're news people. Whenever anything uh, in the mainstream media just peripherally touches, tangentially touches crypto, we get excited. Do people in D.C., are they like, oh, is that a crypto person? You know, there, there were a couple, you know, the D.C., you know, you know, as you well know, crypto news is sort of its own little world. The D.C. policy news is its own little world. Um, and I was pleased that the D.C. kind of policy political press did pick up on the fact that she is a cryptocurrency, former cryptocurrency executive now. Uh, so that that's, you know, I think that's good for us. Um, it's certainly, you know, ev every industry group out there has has their champions. Um, you know, the, the realtors know all the former real realtors in Congress. The broadcasters have, you know, their, their, their former broadcasters who are now members of Congress. And I think it's pretty dang cool that we have a former cryptocurrency <laughs> executive as a, as a United States Senator. And, um, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a wonderful um, 
asset to have because, you know, members of Congress, whether they be in the House or the Senate, they talk to each other a lot, they learn from each other, and to have somebody with that kind of a background who can speak to other members and just through natural conversation help educate them, um, I think that's that's a, it's a huge boon for us. Um, and so, yeah, we're super excited to have to have her in that spot. And, um, you know, we, we haven't uh, pounded down on her door yet, but we, we will be doing that. We're going to get the token the taxonomy year. act on our desk soon. <laughs> well, you know, we have, look at. Um, we, we have some potential. Um, I don't want to say names because um, nothing's final yet, but we, we there are quite a few Republican senators in the Senate that are interested in introducing legislation that would be helpful to the industry. Mm -hmm. um, the challenge is always finding, um, you know, a, a, a Democrat to pair with somebody. Um, and we have some Democrats that are interested um, in also joining that effort, but they're not quite as far as long as, as so the what is this? So what I, is... I sort of wish she were she were a Democrat, but I guess it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work that way. But um, what, <laughs> excited to have her regardless. What is that initiative? Um, it's similar to the Token Taxonomy Act. Okay. Um, but um, how much can you talk about it? Um, I about as much as I'm talking about it right now. Now we, we um, <laughs> you know, you you get the benefit um, of over time of of you know looking at legislation and figuring out how to improve it. And we think we found a couple ways to tighten up the definition that makes it a little bit cleaner. And so, um, you know, we would love to see something like that. Uh, introduced and um, you know that's sort of a work in progress to to get everybody up to speed. But when will we start to see more information around that um, come out? I mean, hopefully in the new year. It won't be sure. won't be before the end of the year, but okay. Hopefully in Q1. Do you see some of the so Warren Davidson jumps out um, as someone that's been pretty vocal in these hearings? Yeah, um, fantastic. Do you see that spilling over to some of maybe people that aren't? even in the Financial House Service Committee, but just broader Congress? Yeah, we, you know, we get, a, we, we've had offices reach out, um, especially kind of from California, Silicon Valley, uh, that want ideas for things that they can do to be helpful and, and they want to lead the charge. And we've had a couple offices that are off committee that start to do that. Now, I think that's more because of its, it's more of a constituent interest, but um, but yeah, we're, we're seeing a much broader group. Um, but also, on on the financial services committee, um, we we're seeing more members, um, you know, that are getting involved. So it's 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 a very positive development. Token Taxonomy Act. You mentioned that. What's anything new there? We haven't had as much time to focus on that with all that's going on with Libra. Um, mm. But prior to the Libra announcement, we were in sort of offense mode, and we've had to be in a little bit of defense mode. Um, and um, which is also probably equally as important as to not let anything bad happen. Uh, but no, we, we still love the bill. Um, there, uh, uh, you know, there's been a few more co-sponsors that have been added to the bill, um, but we haven't been able to devote the time it takes to, to you know, get a bunch more on board. But I th I'm confident, you know, as we get into the new year, we can, we'll hopefully have a little bit more bandwidth to get back to some of our offensive stuff too. Um, once we get through this Managed Stablecoins or Securities Act. Does that, does the tax implication still impact Libra? And if, especially if it's classified as a security? Yeah, I mean, right now, if, uh, I think Libra would likely, well, if it's a security, it would be taxed as a, you know, sort of a security. But yeah, I think the virtual currency definition, well, let me back up. If Libra is classified as a security, 
it doesn't work, right? Yeah, it has to so, it yeah. has to be not classified as a security. Um, and if it's more of a a dollar if it's tax like Bitcoin, then it's still also well, cumbersome. If it's, if it's tax like Bitcoin, then it's taxed as property. So there would you know be capital gains tax implications. Now, if their goal is to have a, a stable coin. Um, and this is a little bit beyond my expertise, but I've seen analyses that these sort of dollar-backed stable coins are not, you know, they're more like a gift card, right? Like they're, they're not taxed. Um, um, so if Libra, I think it ultimately depends on how Libra is, is structured um, to figure out how it would be taxed. But, you know, the tax, I mean, that's something that's worth talking about there. Um, you know, is this need for a de minimis exemption? And we think we'll have a couple members of the House Financial Service, or I'm sorry, the House Ways and Means Committee, which is the committee that has jurisdiction over tax policy, should be introducing something, um, you know, either before the end of the year or early next year. Um, and the IRS is... Issuing just guidance on the de minimis uh, Well, or? that, the, the, the thinking is that the IRS doesn't have the authority to just unilaterally do that. You need an act of Congress to get a de minimis exemption. So we should see that legislation get introduced, you know, maybe even this month, but um, definitely early Q1 at the latest. Um, and then Treasury is looking at figuring out um, tax reporting guidance. And we had not done a lot of work with Treasury, but they reached out to us and are interested in figuring out, you know, for you know, centralized exchanges, is there some sort of 1099B type reporting that they can provide to the IRS and to their customers to help with tax compliance? Because as we've seen, there were a bunch of letters that went out over the summer and, you know, the, the compliance with crypto taxes are low. And a lot of that is because it's not super easy if you're, you know, your everyday to consumer to track all of that. You have to get sophisticated software. And it's, it's not like, Honestly. you know, I get my, you know, Bank of America Merrill Lynch statement at the end of the year, and I put in some numbers on my form, and I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I, that's something that I know the IRS is is making more of a priority. They they stated so in their they have come out with a document every few months that states their priorities, and this is now one of their priorities. So, I think we're going to see some promising um, work, hopefully, on on the tax side. But they're very very if, interested. But in if you don't dialogue. get rid of the if you don't have the de minimis exemption, what else can you do to make it easier? Um, well, you would still, if without the de minimis exemption for every transaction of, of virtual currency, you would owe uh, potentially own capital gains. You have to c calculate it and then, you know. <laughs> <It's like super laughs> yeah, and so what you can do to make it easier for compliance is provide information that's pre-digested that, that people can plug into their tax forms in an easy way. Um, because right now, you don't always get that at the end of the year. and You have to figure it out, and it's complicated, and people don't know how to calculate it. So I thought Coinbase and Gemini did send out forms that you can plug into your... My understanding is they do for... Um, yes, there's some that are out there, but none of this is blessed by the IRS in terms of what they're doing. And, and they're different... You know, there's, they do right now a 1099K, which is sort of an um, aggregated number, but there are some people that would like to see more of a 1099B that sort of disaggregates it. Um, it's a little bit complicated because right now exchanges can only see within, you know, the customers in their own exchange. You can't see across exchanges. So it's, it's difficult for them to determine if something's actually a taxable event. Because if I'm moving it from, 
you know, one of my Coinbase accounts to another one of my Coinbase accounts, that's not a taxable event. Yeah. But if I'm giving it to you, then <laughs> yeah. um, that is. So, um, and it, they, it's just difficult when they're looking across exchanges and what's coming in and out to figure so, out. So basically what you're saying is the IRS needs to come out and provide a framework for a 1099B that exchanges could then use to yes. offer that to their clients. Yes, and, and that okay. they would be comforted that if they follow the guidance that they're doing it correctly and consumers would be comforted that the information is, is signed off correct. by the but, I, but it might. Yeah, I, I mean, it, the, the solution is not an easy one. The solution has to be built. It's not, there's no like off the shelf way to do this because you have to have, I mean, it's a little bit like the what's going on with FinCEN and AML and the travel rule. It's you have to kind of have insight into what other actors are doing and you almost need like a third party that can administer that type of thing. So I think that's something we're going to see, you know, more work on. That's, that's um, again, not maybe, you know, major policy change, but it's getting that type of guidance that'll help the industry mature and make it easier for, for more consumers to, to hop on and, and give crypto a try. That's interesting. But you'd still need the exchanges to, I mean, the guidance only goes to, so would go so far. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And you don't expect that to happen next year. Uh, no, no, we she expect said to see some proposals yeah. happening. Some proposals. On that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it'll ultimately be enacted by the end of next year. But I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth. I mean, we've already been. Um, we've met with Treasury on a couple different occasions and are, are having these dialogues with them. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. And on, uh, what would you? What's your? I, that is an interesting question. A bold prediction? Bold prediction, or just a like one you, you have high conviction in? Or. Um, I mean, I have high conviction that Facebook's woes aren't over and that Congress in the first half of the year, not necessarily in the Senate, but in the House, are going to make a, a big push to try to stop Libra. Got it. I'm trying to see if Naraj will send a question for Kristen. <laughs> From DC, you know he's in my WeWork. He is literally he responds so quickly to all text messages. It's it's insane. What kind of question? Any kind of policy question? As we sign off, let's see what oh he says. Oh dear, I'm uh, sure it's a good one. I'm sure our listeners are familiar with how would the, they uh, how would they ramp up and and stop Facebook? What would be the the method of doing that? Well, it could be managed this stable managed stablecoins or securities act. Um, yeah, it would have to be some legislative. No, I don't think they it's stop a, it, but they're going to make a run at it. It's so um, funny to me when I look at something like that. I'm like, no way people are going to care enough about crypto. And maybe that's just because I'm self-deprecating and I project that onto the entire space. But that that's, that's going to go through all the different committees and then through Congress, then through the Senate. Do people care that much? And people people do not like Facebook. Or lawmakers do not like Facebook. Yeah. So I, I think getting anything through the Senate is a challenge. The, the Senate a couple of weeks ago held their first committee, you know, markup. This is when they consider and vote to move legislation for the first time in, I think it was 18 months. So they, they don't do a whole lot over in the Senate. Um, you know, it's, it's really the House that... Um, We'll move things through, and then and then it sort of dies in the Senate. But you know, regardless, it sends a message, it sends, sets precedent, and sends signals to regulators that what the concerns are. So it's not meaningless that 
that they're taking action. Um, and there's certainly a lot of you know sort of headline risk for the companies involved when these type of things move. So that's, that's why it's important to get um, these efforts uh, as narrowly tailored as possible so that they don't you know take out everybody else in the in in its path. What is your this is Naraj's question. Outside of keeping the ship afloat, what is your big aspirational policy goal for 2020? Ours would be something like a de minimis exemption, for example. Um, we, we love, uh, so Coin Center, we love Coin Center. I love Coin Center. I love the whole team at Coin Center. I love them so much that I moved into their same WeWork so oh, I nice. could be close to them. And I sometimes just stop by to say hello um, to the whole team there. So they're great. Um, yeah, we, I think um, one of our top, uh, would be the de minimis exemption. I was on the Hill this week with Coin Center doing meetings uh, to get that bill introduced, um, hopefully soon. Um, but no, I think the number one issue for the members of the Blockchain Association is uh, getting clarity on securities laws. Um, you know, that, as we mentioned you know, before, is probably unlikely to go through Brad Sherman's committee, but I think that we can, can see some ideas that are put out there in the Senate that, um, can help send a signal to the SEC um, and and whatever you know maybe future chairman of the SEC we might have in a year from now if if Clayton uh, when he's done um, with his term um, you know that lays an important uh, sort of precedent and groundwork for that um, so that would be our number one but I think the de minimis exemption is a close number two <laughs> well I think that's a great place to end. Thanks so much for coming down and joining us for the second time. I know. This, we'll is, have a, a this is the greatest achievement of my life to be <laughs> to be asked to come back a second time on a podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I doubt that is the truth. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for coming. That was great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Scoop. We hope you tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe and favorite wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app on the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer -peer payments app to support Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to turn cash into crypto. Cash App now supports Bitcoin deposits in-app, so be sure to move your Bitcoin from whatever wallet you're using to Cash App. Don't have any to deposit? Cash App is also the most convenient way to instantly buy and sell Bitcoin. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfers to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, and places like Chick-fil-A. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and I hope you